Good afternoon, everyone. I'm thankful to God for the opportunity for the church to again experience the power of God, the wisdom of God, and the goodness of God. As we heard Pastor Micah share with us uh, the good news that there are five brothers who have willingly uh, have come forward uh, to put their name down uh, to borrow loan from the bank so that we can purchase that building. It's a long journey. I think we continue to look to God and uh, that God will demonstrate His power, His faithfulness, so that we can have a, a place that we can do ministry. While we are waiting for the place to be purchased, uh, I think it will probably, if we ever get a place, it will take another year or so before we can move in. The building should not be our main focus, although a number of people will put our hearts into it. Uh, they'll be redesigning, uh, engaging ministry leaders to see how we can best utilize the place. Like in the Old Testament uh, that taught us in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, before the rebuilding of the temple of God, they actually rededicate them, their lives to God. I think it's important that we as a church continue to rededicate our lives unto God to see the ministry that God has entrusted to us. So foremost, it is our dedication to God, recommitting our lives to God, to put our spiritual life in order, our family life in order, and the community life in that priority in order uh, before we even move into the physical place. I thought being an older pastor, uh, I need to remind us uh, what the Lord has taught us in the scripture. I think it's important because I'm aware that uh, often when there's a church building, uh, building project, uh, whether in the many churches that I've heard of, uh, often the church would have a lot of spiritual conflict. A lot of conflict take place, members begin to quarrel over small things and resulting that uh, before the church uh, members can move into the new building, uh, Satan robbed the church of the joy of possessing the new building and doing ministry. So we need to be very aware of that. I thought it's good that I remind you of that. Uh, today we are going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 to 32. And I read uh, verses 25 to 32 from the NIV version. Please turn your Bible together with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. And this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, uh, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, 
with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgive you. Now last week, I mentioned from uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, that Paul exalted Christians not to live as the Gentiles do. Uh, basically, he was talking about uh, reminding uh, the Christian in Ephesus not to follow their former way of life. Now, he used several terms, but it means the same thing. Uh, your old self, in other versions, he talk about your, your old man. is basically talking about your former manner of life. Don't live like the Gentiles do. You were once non-believers. Non you were non-Christian. You have a particular distinct lifestyle, a corrupted lifestyle. And so no longer live as the Gentiles do. And he gave the reason, he said, because you did not come to know Christ that way. You were taught to put off your old self, meaning your old former manner of life. And then, of course, Paul described uh, the characteristics of the former uh, manner of life, the corrupt, corrupted lifestyle. Uh, Paul say in, uh, in verse uh, chapter 4, 22, 23, 24, it talks about the former way of life, which is being corrupted. Now, the, the reformers, uh, reformed theology use a term called radical depravity or total depravity. Uh, meaning that our sinful nature, because of sin, we inherited from Adam, uh, we are corrupted to the core of our being. We are corrupted uh, uh, by this sin. Sinful, our, our, our nature is sinful. Uh, so we are to be renewed in our mind with the truth of Jesus uh, by the Holy Spirit and to put on the new self. Now the good news is that in elsewhere, in the New Testament, Paul talked about that those who are in Christ Jesus, you are the new creation. Simply mean that uh, for people who have heard the gospel, you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You are a new creation. God has created you in His image. I'm talking about the recreation. So you have this new, new life, the new nature in you. Although the old nature, it is still very much in you. But that old nature, the old sinful nature or the old man, or the old self, and the Bible tells us that, that because of the, the, the spiritual consequence of the death and the resurrection of Christ, uh, the power of sin is broken and the bondage to sin is broken. Meaning that we now, every Christian has received a new nature at the moment of conversion and therefore we have the power to live a new life. We can put off certain things which belong to the old nature and we can put on the new new life new characteristic new pattern of conduct which belong to the new nature 
Now, of course, this is to be by the, by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. We have to let the Holy Spirit in us to empower us to change. And again, theologians use the word sanctification. And we know that sanctification uh, is to be uh, accomplished over a period of time. And in this life, we can never be totally sanctified. We will only be totally sanctified when we reach heaven, when Christ come again, and that we will be given a new resurrected and a new body. When all sin will be completely done away with, that is the term they use it called glorification. We will be glorified. We will be totally sanctified. In other words, realistically speaking, as a, as a Christian, although we now have a new life and we are on the, on the journey of sanctification, of being changed and transformed more and more into the image of God, and we take on the, 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 the characteristic of God, the, that's why the term called you become more and more like Christ, Christ-like life. And so, so the Holy Spirit will empower us to change and the process of comp uh, sanctification uh, will, be, will, will begin at the point of your conversion and it will continue for the rest of your life. Now, I'm giving this uh, preamble before I go into the specific concrete examples in which Paul talked about the things that we are to put off, those things that belong to the old former ways of life. And then the things that we are to put on, which belongs to our new life. Now, the old self, the old sinful nature can be weakened more and more. It can become less and less strong. As your minds are being renewed by the truth, that's why it's important to read and study the Word of God and to let the Holy Spirit take the Word of God as the truth of God to renew our mind. And as we yield more and more of our life to the righteousness and holiness, then the old self is being weakened. Our new life Will, will continue to grow. Our new self will become strengthened. Now, so therefore, it is the devil's lie that say that you cannot change. And you will not be truthful to the word of God to say, I can't help it. I cannot change. It is a lie. You can, be, you can change because the power, the Holy Spirit will empower you to change. God wants you to change, and therefore He gives you the Holy Spirit within you to change you, to help you to live life consistent with the, your new identity in Christ. So there are certain behaviors or conduct which are inconsistent with your new nature, and the, and, and, and the Bible exhorts us to put off. Now Paul, of course, using the analogy of the, of the clothing that, that's simple enough for uh, for the youth to understand, for even for, for children to understand. You know, if you have dirty clothing, you are talking about children, sometimes they vomit into their clothes, their attire, then it smells, it stinks, and they know that they need to take out, take off, and wash. So Paul is saying that all those things that 
uh, belong to your old fam former manner of life, you are to put off, to take it out and get rid. Now, this is simple enough to understand. Now, uh, just yesterday, uh, my friend, a good friend who wrote to me in a WhatsApp, he wanted me to immediately respond to him. I think he was maybe discussing with people. He said, uh, does the Bible needs have new things that the theologians and the pastors and the leaders or, or even Christians to keep, keep studying? You know, is it that the Bible is something that, that we all know already, we don't need to study anymore? We exhausted the knowledge of the Bible. So I replied, I wrote the, in the WhatsApp, I told him that the scripture is simple enough for the children to like, like the river, you know, to wait, uh, W-A-D-E, to, to play at the shallow water. But the scripture is like the ocean, deep enough for the ocean liners to sail on it. Some theologians, of course, this one is I use it, my, my coin. Lah. But theologians say it's deep enough for the elephant to play in it. So it's basically saying that the scripture is, the depth of the scripture is so deep that even theologians can never uh, fathom and exhaust uh, his whole knowledge. So it's important that we keep on studying the word of God to be renewed in our mind and so that our life can be transformed and to align, to align our lives that are in, uh, to be consistent with our new identity in Christ. Now, what kind of things we are commanded to put off? And what kind of things we are commanded, commanded to put on? Now, Paul in verses 25 to, uh, to the rest of the uh, uh, chapter 4, uh, to 3032, uh, Paul shows specific areas of conduct that Christians must put off and those that they must put on that are consistent with their new identity in, in Christ. So when we look at verses 25, there are five areas that you and I are called to put off and you and I are called to put on. What are the five concrete examples? Now these are not not a moralism or moralistic uh, uh, teaching. You know, something that uh, by your own power you can do it. That's why on the onset, I already told you, because you have already been converted, you have been saved, you have been justified uh, uh, through, your, through the finished work of Christ, and, and, and you are called to be sanctified, to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and, and, and to obey all these, all these uh, imperatives, this commandment. And later we're going to look at uh, the theological reason that Paul gave. The five concrete examples, number one, from lying or falsehood to speaking the truth. Now, of course, Paul is giving the contrast between the old way of life, the old sinful nature, and and, and with the new nature to be, uh, and the new way of life. From lying, from falsehood, to speaking the truth. Second example, from unrighteous anger to righteous anger, verses 26 to 27. From stealing to sharing, verse 28. From unwholesome words to edifying words, verse 29. From being unkind to forgiving, verses 31 to 32. Now you notice that two areas has to do with speech, 
the words that we say. Falsehood is contrast to truth. Unwholesome words to edifying words. Now, all these have ramification to the life in the community because these verses are located uh, in the context of the community in chapter 4. How the way we live uh, as in the community. Now, this has serious consequences huh? uh, because the, the former way of life, all these are destructive behaviors that will actually affect the life of the community. When these affect the life of the community, it means that it will also affect the functioning of the church community. And in the long haul, it affects the mission, the testimony of the, of the community, and also the mission work of, the, of, the, of God that entrusted to the community. So I mentioned about uh, the five things. Let's go into it one at a time. The first thing is that we are called, uh, Paul said, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, uh, in my S, uh, this uh, uh, NIV used the word, let me see, uh, verse 25, it said, therefore, I'm not sure in your ESV has that, therefore, meaning that you have to look at the preceding verses. Paul has already spent a lot of time talking about uh, our old former ways of life that we have to put off uh, uh, because we are the body of Christ and we have to put on uh, the new, new characteristic uh, because we did not learn from Christ the old way of life. And so 25, he said, therefore, as a result of what Christ has done, as a result of what we learn from Christ, of the truth, of what it means to live as the new humanity that God created because of the finished work of Christ. And therefore, the first thing, of course, the five things that Paul talked about is not meant to be exhaustive. It is only giving five examples. And of course, there are many other things that we can discuss and talk about and can be found in other parts of the scripture. The first thing that Paul talked about is that putting away lying. Of course, falsehood has to do with deception, uh, deceitful words. Lying is a deceitful words. Falsehood and speak truthfully. Now, of course, you and I know that we do not need to be uh, taught. Uh, our children also don't need to be taught how to tell lies. Uh, it, it comes naturally because of our depravity, of our sinful nature. Lying belongs to the old nature. And the older that people grow, the more sophisticated and crafty they become. You know, uh, uh, you know children, uh, as I said, they don't need to, to, to be taught. They probably also seen the, the example uh, from the parents, uh, like telling white lie. Uh, for example, uh, someone called, and then uh, those days, of course, the, uh, uh, we do a handphone. Uh, uh, we need to go to the place and take out, take the, the, the phone, and then speak. And then the, the father will tell the son, please don't tell, don't tell the person I'm, I'm in the house. Just say that I'm, uh, I'm uh, in the office. You know, you're teaching children to tell lies. It's a white lie. And then half-truth in relating story, uh, you don't reveal the whole truth. 
And then there's a call, uh, a category called the harmless lie, the white lie, harmless lie, the polite lie. Uh, for example, you you uh, you you uh, 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 tell the the leaders or you tell the pastor after the sermon, say, "Oh, there's a great sermon. There's a good exegesis," but actually, it's a very bad sermon and and a bad uh, exegesis. But you're not telling the truth. You're just being polite. You're giving a polite lie. As a result, how does it affect? And if more people telling the pastor that way, the pastor think that, oh, I don't need to do any more hard, hard work to do, to learn uh, the skill of exegesis. And how does it affect the community? Meaning that you don't get good sermon, you're not fed with the truth. And so telling lie does affect the community. You know, like, like for example, you say, I look forward to see you, in, uh, see you again, but actually you don't like the person and you're telling the lie. Then you say, I would love to come to your Bible study group. Actually, you, you don't like, you, you don't want to attend the Bible study group. But then you go on to say, Friday is not a good day. And then the, 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 the covenant group or the Bible study group leader say, okay, I'm willing to change to Saturday. Then you tell another lie. You say, oh, Saturday, I had to take my, my children for tuition. But actually, you don't want to commit yourself to Bible study group. You tell a lie and more and more people start telling lies, then it does affect the life of the community. Now, why must we be truthful in conversation? Truthfulness gives freedom to the other person to respond to you rightly and accurately. You know, you, you tell the pastor honestly, you say, Pastor, I think you are a good pastor, but I think you have done a poor job in exegesis. I don't agree with you the way how you interpret the Bible. Uh, you are being truthful, but you say it in a way that is loving, but speak the truth in love. And then the pastor will engage, has a freedom to say, can you show me where I, I have exegeted wrongly? Can you help me so that I can grow in my skill of interpretation? And the pastor may therefore, as a result, after you show him that he is actually weak in exegesis, and the pastor begin to learn from another, another uh, 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 lecturer or another pastor and grow in his uh, skill in interpretation. Of course, that can apply to many other contexts. Huh? So, truthfulness gives freedom to the other person to respond to you rightly and accurately. Whereas falsehood undermines trust. The moment when a member discovers that you are fond of falsehood, and not telling the truth and the person will avoid you and no longer want to engage you in, in interaction know that i cannot trust you anymore whatever you say cannot be trusted i don't believe in you and so that undermines relationship in the community of course paul gives the theological reason you look at verse 25 therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor the people that you are relating for we are all members of one body because we are members of the one body in christ falsehood can cause difficulty to the church community being honest in conversation as i already illustrated is important the church cannot function as a body if we do not uh, speak truthfully to one another we constantly give false messages to one another, then the body of Christ cannot function properly. Now let's take the physical body as an analogy. 
Uh, Paul is fond of taking the physical body uh, to illustrate uh, the body of Christ. Let's, for example, your brain suddenly give false sickness to your feet. And then you would stumble and walk in front of a moving truck, ignoring the danger because your brain tells you that it is safe. There's no car in front of you, you know, giving you the false signal. If it falsely reported hot while it is freezing cold, you could freeze to death because you think that it is warm. Or we, you could be scalded in hot shower while thinking it is, it is, it is cold because your brain gives you the false sickness. I'm giving you physical analogy. You can now begin to apply that in the, in the body of Christ. How when the head uh, or the, the body, different members of the body giving different signal. Um, if our eyes decided to send false signals to the brain, a dangerous curve in a highway when you're driving uh, and the eyes send a signal to the brain telling say it's straight, you're going to crash. And if the nerves in your hands and feet fail to tell your brain that injury was occurring, our foot could be mangled or our fingers burned without knowing it. Now, recently I have this uh, uh, a little bit of trigger finger. I, I had it before trigger finger. I, I mentioned to the congregation before because I, I learned how to cook, but I've forgotten that I mustn't use my, my palm to hit the knife, you know, hit the knife and then... Uh, and uh, like, like when you are chopping something, then it's hard and then you use your palm to hit, you know, and you keep hitting, then your, this part became inflamed. When it is inflamed, then you get trigger finger. Of course, trigger finger occurs mostly to older people. Uh, uh, for some young people, get it, but older people, because of the, the something here, I was told that the joint, something, the nerves get affected. So now I have this part that is inflamed. I mustn't keep using my, my, my this right hand to, to use the knife to cut things, you know, because it's really inflamed. It is injured, so I must rest. So the physical body, uh, precisely the great danger of leprosy, if you have opportunity to talk to lepers, they, they actually don't feel, they don't know the injury, the disease, and that the, the devastated their fingers. That's why you can see lepers with their, their deformities because they keep injuring their hand and their feet because they cannot feel. You know, if you imagine you cannot feel, uh, how, how you, you're going to injure yourself, your, your fingers and your hand and your feet. Now, when it is, if it is true of physical body, it is also true of spiritual body. The church cannot function properly if members do not speak truthfully to each other. Now, you, you just imagine different scenario. Now we are now on the on the uh, journey of uh, on the journey of uh, buying the church building. Now, assuming the leaders do not tell you the truth, huh? and we are in the process want to buy, say, a place that costs six million, and we have only about hundred over members, and looking at the profile of the members, we don't have business people. And so realistically, maybe, of course, now I'm talking about we are buying the property of three, three million. And then we calculate and say that if we don't borrow bank loan, we can't afford, uh, we can't afford to uh, purchase the thing. Borrowing a bank loan of two million, we now got 1.2 million. You perhaps uh, may need to pay about 14 to 16,000 a month 
Now, these are truthfully telling you, huh? but what if the leaders don't tell you the truth and say that, oh, there's no problem, we can borrow 4 million, we can buy 6 million building. And then later, when we entered into that uh, contract with the bank and then discovered that every month we need to pay $30,000. And then our offering collection maximum is only 28000 a month. Uh, and then plus ministry expenses and all this. So what are you going to do? And then members begin to quarrel with the leaders, Eddie. And then some members get terrified, Eddie. I, want to be, I don't want to belong to this community. And people start leaving. One by one, start leaving. And then end up what? Left with 50 people. And then 50 people get panicked. Then start what? Gradually, more and more people start leaving. Left with 20 people. Left with only the leaders. Then the leaders start quarreling themselves. And then a good church ended up what? This total disintegration. And then the mission of God is affected. And then what? The image of God is affected. The testimony of the church is affected. Why? It's because it starts with leaders practice falsehood, do not want to tell you the truth. Well, that's not the case with us. Huh? I'm just giving an illustration to help you to see how important it is to be truthful. Leaders and members, members and leaders. So we need to listen to one another. We tell the truth because the truth, truth-telling, is consistent with the new life that God has given us. God, God created us uh, in, in His image, recreated us in His image to be Christ-like. So we need to tell the truth. Alright? Now, the second example is from unrighteous anger to righteous anger. Let's look at verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand how many of you uh, uh, have anger issue. As a pastor, you don't have to put up your hand because I have counseled people, members. I know who are the people who got anger issue. As I say, sanctification is a process. I have seen people with really have a serious anger issue and affected their marriage life and their family life. And then gradually, as they are made more and more aware, they allow the Holy Spirit to work in them. They let the pastors and the leaders hold him accountable and you see the person begin to change. And Paul said that in your anger, do not sin. You need to see very carefully, Paul is saying, not saying that you cannot get angry. If you get angry, then you are sinful. You know, sometimes people make you feel, feel uh, guilty to say, you, you know, why, why are you angry with me? You are committing sin against God. No, the Bible didn't say that you cannot be angry. In your anger, does not, do not sin. Paul is talking about unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger belongs to your old self, your old former manner of life. You are not to be the same anymore. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So the Bible does not tell us that we shouldn't feel angry. But it points out that it is important <clears throat> to handle our anger properly. If ventilated thoughtlessly, anger can hurt others and destroy relationship. Let anger fly may be a great tool for getting your way. You know, some people, they get angry. They know that when I get angry, sometimes, you know, there's a power play between husband and wife. 
uh, is either one. When the person gets angry and using strong words, you actually can manipulate and intimidate those around you, even your spouse or even your children. That's why the Bible warns us, human anger is nearly always an expression of selfishness or fear or the desire to control others. And it does not, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James chapter 120. In other words, when you lash out on people with a kind of rage and anger, it does not accomplish the purpose that God wants to accomplish. Because unrighteous anger always destroys. Husband and wife would know, you know, when you when a husband crushed the feeling of the woman. You know, in my counseling, I always tell the man, you be very careful. You know, you be very careful when you use that kind of words and crush the emotion of the woman, your wife, your wife cannot respond to you sexually. Now, this is a whole lot of truth. A man need to be told, you need to be loving because, because woman emotion is very tender. The moment you crush that using, because you, you, you know, outbursts of anger, you use strong words and then the, the, the emotion is being crushed really. And that, that destroys relationship and, and, and intimacy. Now, the verse recognizes that there's such a thing as righteous anger. You know, there's such a thing as righteous anger. Like God, when there's evil, God is angry with the sin. So, as the children of God, we are to be like God, created, recreated in His image, in righteousness and holiness, and it is only right when we see evil, we should not tolerate and we should be angry with sin. That is called righteous anger. But often our anger is not righteous anger. The Bible doesn't give us a blank check to lose our temper whenever we like it. It got to be the right sort of, right sort of anger. Uh, we need to be constantly reminded of our fallenness. If we are angry, be sure it is a righteous anger that we are angry with evil, with the sin, particularly our own sin. And we need to be careful not to mistaken unrighteous anger for righteous anger. I remember a story uh, that was, has been told of a, a, a father. Now, this is very good uh, for, for those of you uh, with young children. Uh, there's a father who told his son, you know, every time when you lash out your anger and you strong word against your sisters and your brothers, the father said, I give you this nail, big nail, very big, and give you, give, give, the father give the son the hammer and go outside, there's a wooden fence, you know, the, the house, a big compound wooden fence, and there's a plank, horizontal plank, and the father wanted the son to take a nail and hammer into the, into the wooden plank. Every time when he's angry and lash out, you know, with strong words on the sisters and the brothers. And then the father said, take this nail and nail it, take the hammer and hammer it, the, the nail onto the, onto the fence. And then at the end of the year, the father told the son, say, son, take the hammer, you know, the hammer got this one, and go and pull out the nail. So the son went and pulled out, the, you know, the whole fence, huh? so many nails, you know. Let's show that boy got anger issue and pull out the nail. Pull out one by one, one by one. And then you can see the hole. You know, the sunlight shine through and then there's a 
you know, shine through the whole day. So many holes, you know, it's an ugly sight. You imagine every time when someone lash out at you in your family, it's like the, the nail using the hammer, hammer into your heart, and there's a hole. And there are so many holes in the heart, you think can easily restore. There's already a scar, you know. It, it actually helps us understand that kind of unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger has very serious consequences. <clears throat> so Paul used three negatives to help us to deal with our sinful <clears throat> response, you know, in anger. Say, firstly, first, do not sin. We have to be sure that our anger is really freed from injured pride. Our anger is a righteous anger. It's not because of animosity, not because we want to take revenge. Secondly, Paul said, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. But of course, some people take the interpretation literally. Say, deal with it immediately and don't let the sun go down. But what I think Paul is giving a principle that we are to deal with conflict quickly. Uh, we don't let the anger inside us begin to bottle up and then we nurse our anger and then the anger will eventually turn into bitterness and then there will be revengeful spirit within us. Don't let the sun go down, meaning that deal with it as quickly as possible. Find the appropriate time, you know, when your anger feeling subsided, go to that person, deal with it. Underlying the anger, there's always, there's a, a uh, issue, something that bothering you, something that you are not happy, something that is maybe unfulfilled. You know, that's why you are angry. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Thirdly, do not give the devil a foothold. Meaning when, when there is a, a conflict, when there is an outburst of anger, and you need to quickly find a way to have a conflict resolution. Either you spend some time, bring it to the Lord and pray, ask the Lord to speak to you, ask the Lord to deal with your, your anger and the, and the conflict, and then go to that person. You know, don't give devil the space and the time to create havoc. You know, a lot of problem in the church that erupted into division is a result of unresolved uh, anger, unresolved conflict. You know, you have issue with that person, but you don't go, with, go to that person and talk it out. That's why I always believe huh, when someone comes to you, you may be a pastor or the leaders, elders or deacons, or even as a father or mother, when the children come to you and tell you something, say, Dad, I'm angry with you. Now, you must not react. You must listen. Let the person tell you why the person is angry with you, and then you thank the person, say, thank you, son, for being honest, for, 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 taking, for making yourself vulnerable to come and confront me. I'm listening to you. Give that some time to process, to think over. And then later on, you may need to go and apologize to your son or your daughter to say, son, please forgive that. I have done you wrong. So when members come to you and want to resolve that with you, you give a listening ear. But if you really think that you're not wrong, 
but the person is still very angry, you might want to bring another person, a third person, a more wiser person, and to process the whole conflict uh, with you. And, and maybe to counsel you to say, or, or even to tell the person, I think pastor is right, you are being unreasonable. So there must be a mediator or an arbitrator to help you. The, the issue must always be resolved quickly. Don't give the devil a foothold. If we nurse our anger, then we give devil an opportunity to work over time. You know, to burn our heart inside. And then it will become a fire. So Paul recognized the dangers of not attending to anger and his underlying issues. You know, ask yourself, why is the person so angry with you? Or why are you so angry? Why do you lash out in rage? Have you hurt someone with your words that you use? Husband can crush the emotion of the wife. Father and mother using harsh words when in anger and damage the emotion of the children. And that can scar them for life. So Paul talked about from unrighteous anger to righteous anger. Thirdly, from stealing to sharing. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands. Now, of course, this may not be a problem in our church community. I've not encountered a single incident of uh, uh, stealing uh, in a CDPC in these 22 years of my, my uh, pastoral life. Uh, even in Subang here, I was told that uh, there are women who left their, their what they call uh, purse and their handbag on the chair after the service. Then they will go for fellowship, they go to the toilet. Then nothing has been reported missing. Nobody ever take anything. No thievery. But in Paul's time, uh, it is a problem. Even among Christians stealing. Particularly in a public place where there is a public bath, uh, people leave their wallet, leave their money, their belonging. Next minute, things are gone already. Alright, things are gone. Believe me, you try to test this community, leave your handphone on the chair. After service, go elsewhere. I think you come back, your handphone will be still there. Stealing is a problem in the ancient society. That's why Paul deal with it. In the ancient world, in Rome, as I said, thievery was common in two public places, the public bath and in the harbour, you know, where there are crowded place and then people uh, pickpocket and steal. But Paul here is not just talking about stealing, which is not consistent with, uh, with the old way of life. He's talking about taking something that is not belonging to you. Now, it should not go without saying that Christians must not steal. That is one of the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. Don't take things that do not belong to you. The motive for not stealing, Paul went on to talk about working honestly so that you can give to others who are in need. Now, here is a new paradigm uh, in, the, in the ancient world. I think it is also maybe for some of us. It's something new. Uh, that is that a new paradigm that work. It's not just for you to have money to buy things for yourself, for your family, to upkeep the livelihood of your family, or to put food on the table. You work hard, you work honestly in order to earn money so that you have something to give, something to share with the needy. This is something revolutionary. That is not what non-believing uh, 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 or the non-Christian worldview. People are normally self-centered. 
you know you you keep hoarding wealth you know you don't give generously to the poor you do not know how to give things to those who are needy in the community there will always be people who are needy there are always people who are needy there's a story of a writer he wrote to another another writer who he know that the other writer who is in need he said i checked my wallet and i discovered that i have 100 pounds with me and that i do not need i'm now sending a check of 100 pounds to you not giving something although i mean authors are not rich but he's willing to give away 100 pounds to to the other author who is in need i want to say something i hope i'm not embarrassing uh, elvin and fern uh, uh, they're very fond of giving things to constant to to, to my family they will call and say uh, pastor are you at home i say i'm at home then next minute they come ready they know that uh, i cook you know i cook for my family and i always buy fish you know because constant uh, grew up in Pangkor island she loves eating fish and i go to wet market i'll go to market super seven i will carefully choose fish you know first time i don't know what kind of fish then i learn and then after when i learn i become expert lady i know what kind of good fish uh, uh the, the bawal you know and and fern and 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 elvin one time brought a fish huh i look at it i say oh, it is a very good fish and say yeah tau te tau te hokkien mean uh, the the it's like prawn fruit uh, the white white uh white bawal uh bawal pute is a good fish very expensive now it's about 56 dollars per kilo you know sometimes i go to the super seven i look at some uh, malay families they will buy fish that are very cheap and then the chinese go there and buy expensive fish i mean this is the image we give to people our uh, chinese got uh, got money uh, these are very expensive and good fish then fern give the the good fish to concern and ask me she knows that i cook for concerns they have given us several times already and i also feel paise you know i mean um, a very expensive fish and then uh elvin said don't worry because this fish are uh, they were given to me because i give consultation uh, to a person a company and then they uh, often give us good fish and so we get to to enjoy good fish because elvin and fern uh, they were generous to give what they have people give them maybe few few fish and they give us one good one so we are grateful to that several years ago i remember i brought uh, one guy uh, whom i brought him to the church i've told this story before about naga uh, a homeless poor uh, he had the uh, difficulty walking, limping. I helped him to cross the road and then become his friend, brought him to the church. He came to the church and then people shared the gospel. He accepted Christ. He grew in his Christian life. He's always seated in front of the Hong Leong Bank. I uh, people who come and tell me, some friends say, hey, your disciple, uh, your follower, uh, reading his Bible, you know. I mean, they know that he's a, a poor guy. You know, like Lazarus sitting in front of a rich man's uh, mansion. He was in front of the Hong Leong Bank. And so one day I called Naga. I said, Naga, uh, can I take you to a place, you know, a shopping mall? I want to buy you some shirt and trousers. So Naga was very excited because we had developed that relationship. You know, he always asked about my wife, Constant. How is Auntie Constant? How is Auntie Constant? He's, he's praying for my wife. So we have that friendship, really. 
And so I, I called Naga, I took him, I took my car, I, I took him to the shopping mall and um, brought him to uh, Uniqlo. Imagine a pastor, old man, well-dressed, Naga wearing short, wearing t-shirt, walk like that, limping, and then uh, 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 with his uh, uh, framework, uh, the, what do you call that, 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 that uh, car, the wheelchair one uh, that he can move. And then we went to the, uh, we were in a Uniqlo. Okay, I do move away. <laughs> Uniqlo. Uh, good thing you didn't see me limping. Uh. Uniqlo. And then I took some nice shirt and trousers because I, I said, Naga, I know that you come to church very early, dress nice, you know. People will look at you, you know, and see you dress very nice. So he's very happy. So I choose, choose some shirt and trousers for him. Uh, four pairs of long trousers, four pairs of shirt. And then he's in the dressing room. I'm outside waiting. And then when he came out, then he, he showed me, oh, this is nice. And then, you know, I was choosing for him. Then I didn't know that there's a group of people watching us, thinking, cannot be what? This guy cannot be his father. Who is this old man? And then this, this Indian man, they couldn't figure out. I could see they, are, they, are, they, are, they look at us. Anyway, to cut the long story short, uh, Naga was so happy. I'm also so happy because I have something to share with him. So the new life in Christ is what Paul said that you are to put on. It's not something that comes to you naturally, but now that you have a new nature empowered by the Holy Spirit, if you want to share, I can tell you there are thousands of ways in which you can share. There are thousands of ways. If you look at the community and outside your community, there's always someone that you can share. There are thousands of things that you can share. So I'm not going to tell you what to do, but Paul gave an example from stealing to sharing what the former way of life is hoarding, taking things that don't belong to you. You were formerly a parasite. Now you become a giver. You're not a sucker. You are a giver. Now you have something to give. You are very like Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't say, for God so loved the world he take. Amazingly, even the few weeks ago when I was preaching, Paul quoted Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. Uh, 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 that uh, when Jesus ascended on high and he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. In the Old Testament, it is the king that received gifts. But I'm not going to go into that theological discussion. Uh, Paul changed it by saying, God, Christ, at the ascended Christ, gave gifts to men. Christ loved the church and he gives spiritual gifts to us. He gives gifted leaders to church. He loves you. He wants you to be built up. So when you give something to people, you are actually very much like Christ, very much like God. You take after the likeness of God. You give, you share to build up the other person. So I give my example not to boast. Uh, my example of uh, relating to Naga is something that God works in my life. I wasn't like that when I was a non-Christian. I was just as selfish as anybody, self-centered. I don't want to give things to people. So you learn to give. Fourthly, from unwholesome words to edifying words. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, unwholesome talk uh, 
here referring to the corrupt word can be also translated as filthy, rotten word. Rotten word that smell like a smelly fish. Have you ever gone to a place where the fish have become rotten? Or even in your house, uh, you have caught a rat or a, a mouse that has been dead for some time maybe, and the decomposition, the rotten smell. And the Bible is using this to help you to understand, do not let the unwholesome talk. Your kind of rotten words that come off your mouth is like the smelly fish. It's like the, the, the dead, dead rat, smelly. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit others who listen. Now, what, what, is, what is Paul saying here? He's saying about words that sometimes we use are uh, unwholesome words, rotten words that really smell, smelly, and, and it doesn't help people. Our new identity in Christ, our new creation of God is so that we need to develop a new standard of conversation. Now, I know that young people always say it is cool to use four-letter words. You know, they say it's cool to use vulgar words in school, in family, Christian. They say it's very cool to use, to use the four-letter words. I'm not sure whether you, you, uh, you do that. But, but it, it's very jarring, you know, it pollutes the mind. Uh, uh, Paul uh, used the word, don't let unwholesome talk comes out of your mouth. But instead, use words that build others up is for edification. So there are three standards. I say number one, before you say anything, does it edify? Is it appropriate? That means according to their needs, does it bring grace? Does it benefit those who listen? Now, I also have been guilty. Sometimes I use strong words. It may not be unwholesome words, but words that are not appropriate. Now, it doesn't mean here Paul is saying that you cannot use word of admonishment or to rebuke someone. You know, when you rebuke truthful words that tell someone, it's not, not nice for the listener to listen. But the person who benefits, you always must pass through these three tests. Does it edify the person, build the person's faith? Is it appropriate? Maybe it's not the right time. The person cannot take it. You will really crumble him. Or does it bring grace? Does it benefit the person who listens to you? A rebuild is also a, a, a gracious word that builds the person up. So you must pass through these three tests. And before I come to the fifth and final example, Paul say. In verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he follow up in verse 31 to say, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. He give five examples, then he follow up with all the other characteristic destructive behavior that we have to get rid of. Uh, but he give theological reason. Whenever there is this manifestation of destructive behavior, uh, like unwholesome talk, falsehood, lying, stealing, unkind words, slander, you know, you, 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 you say things that are not true to spoil someone else's reputation, and uh, bitterness, that, that, uh, and then burst out in rage and anger, 
and use words that crush the spirit and the emotion of the other person. And, and, and consequently, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Here, the Holy Spirit is portrayed as a person which is theologically correct. He's the second person in the Trinity. He lives in you. He's grieved. You hurt him. You hurt God. Whenever there's such behavior, you hurt other people, but you are hurting God. So there are two strong reasons why we have to put on new conduct and new behaviors. One is that we are members of the one body. We belong to the same body. When we don't treat each other well, when we give, uh, speak falsehood, and, uh, and we affect the life in the community. Secondly, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit is being grieved. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a seal to stamp you that you belong to God. Now you belong to God. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing your salvation, waiting for the day of redemption. What does it mean? Waiting for the day of full redemption, where your body will be, will be completely made whole, perfect. That your, your new self will be completely be, be, I don't know how to describe the word, your new, new self will be completely like God. There will no longer be any falsehood or lying or stealing. And so, waiting for the day of full redemption. The day of redemption where you will be glorified. Your sanctification will be made complete. So the Holy Spirit intention is to keep working in us, on us, but we are also talking about the community collectively. The church will become matured, will become united, will be fully functioning when we put on our new identity, the characteristic of the new, identi new identity in Christ, uh, to become the new humanity, the new society of God, that we become like God, you know, created in His image. So, so this is the work of the Holy Spirit. When we go against the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, doing things that are completely opposite of the intention of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Holy Spirit will feel sorrowful, feel hurt. You know, just like father, mother want the children to grow up to be a, a, a good person, you know, well-behaved, to have good Christian conduct, you know, to be like Christ, you know, to, to, to be a good disciple of Jesus. But the moment when you see your children completely live a life opposite of that, don't you think your father and mother will, will be grieved? Father and mother will cry, will pray for you and cry, will sob, will be sorrowful. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit will be grieved by the community when there's a conflict, when there's an infighting, when there's rage, when there's a, a anger, a unrighteous anger, and all these things that people don't get along, the Holy Spirit is grieved. So that's why earlier sermon talked about making every effort. Here is talking about putting off certain things and putting on. And you, uh, the Holy Spirit will empower you to do so. Finally, from unkind to forgiving, get rid of all these things, bitterness, rage and anger. And, and, and Paul say, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, just as in Christ, God forgive you. We are still work in progress. 
God has not sanctified us fully. We are in the different stages of sanctification. Some people are more sanctified than the other. And so in the community, we still have this manifestation of uh, destructive behavior, of things that are not, not, not kind. You know? We are unkind to one another. We are not compassionate to one another. We, we nurse our anger. We hold grudge. And then we lash out in anger. You know, we don't want to work with each other. We, we don't want to forgive one another. We totally forgotten that Christ has forgiven us. So we need to reflect, to think and ponder and look to the cross to see what Jesus has done. We deserve condemnation. We deserve to be condemned by God. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve all the good things that God has given to us in our community. But God in Christ has forgiven us because God is tender-hearted. He knows what we are made of and He forgives us. Be kind and compassionate. So these are the specific virtues that reflect our new identity as the new people of God, to be kind and tender-hearted. When relationship within the church community is strained, we need to be ready to forgive. Firstly, make up your mind because Christ has forgiven you. In your heart, you can be charitable and begin to forgive the person. And then go to the person and begin to have conversation. And don't harbor resentment and anger and begin to reflect the way how Christ has forgiven us. Let me conclude. Our old nature is essentially negative and destructive. The old nature or the old man is still in us. God has really broken the power of sin, the bondage of sin. But in our flesh, the old nature will still continue to exert. You know? But the more and more you put on your new nature and put on your new self, then the old nature will be weakened. Uh, the old nature is reflected in diverse and many ways. And Paul given us five examples. And these are not meant to be exhaustive, but you can think of many other destructive ways you are to put off and there are new pattern of behavior we are to put on to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you have places us in this body, the body of Christ, this church, that we all have been redeemed by you, saved by you for the purpose of serving Christ, of serving one another. And we are thankful for CDPC, Puchong and CDPC corporate. The Lord, you have given us a mission bigger than our own little agenda. Lord, help us to be mindful that our behavior the expression of our conduct can affect other people. It can be destructive and it can spoil the work of God and the mission of God. Help us be quick to appreciate one another, to see that our brother and sister's ministry and mission uh, that God has given to them, that we are to go alongside them to encourage them. We are to use our words to edify to build up, to encourage, rather than, than to tear down. Forgive us when we have failed. 
Forgive us. There are many occasions when we speak harsh words that have crushed the feeling and the emotion and the spirit of the other person. Forgive us the moments when we uh, are hoarders, we, we take things from people that do not belong, or we don't want to share our things that you have richly blessed us. Lord, hear our prayer. We long to, to build the community so that the community will proclaim the gospel and engage with the outside world, that Christ's name and the gospel may be, may be preached and proclaimed far and wide. And so we recognize the significance, the importance of the body of Christ and how the destructive behavior can, can weaken the, the testimony and the strength of the church and therefore help us and empower us, Holy Spirit, to put on uh, our new self, uh, recreated in the image of God, created in righteousness and holiness. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name.